So we are taking a look at relationships and we are just scratching the surface. I, I, wanna, I wanna offer that disclaimer again. This is season one. There's gonna be season two, season three, season four, season five, season six, I think, because there's just so much that goes into relationships. There is very little, if anything, that affects our walk with God and, and where we're supposed to see fruit more than in relationships. Relationships of all kinds of levels. Everything, as you see on the wall there, is summed up in loving God and loving people. This is all about relationships. So relationships can be sometimes the greatest source of pain, right? Don't, don't look at the person you came to church with. Just, you can just agree gently, you can just nod gently. Um, but, but relationships can also be the greatest source of encouragement, of, of affirmation, of iron sharpening iron, of, of bringing out the best in one another. Sometimes bringing out the worst in one another. And I wanna encourage you to reframe how we even see someone bringing out the worst in us. Because the truth is, no one can bring anything out of you that's not in you. So even that is sometimes a gift. Someone bringing something out of you, we could want to blame them for bringing that out of you, but if it wasn't in you, it wouldn't come out. So even that can be a gift to us. And so bring out the best, bring out the worst. It's how God grows us. It's how God offers us perspective. It's, it's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. I don't think, listen, let's all be honest. We can be amazingly obedient to God before we get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. But then it's all like, it's like, it's a challenge. You know, you're dealing with your heart, you're dealing with, with, with all kinds of challenges and temptations and choices and value system and people. And so we do want to keep growing in life-giving, healthy relationships with people, and this is a journey. This is, it's like this is the school of life as we keep learning in different ways through different environments how to love well, how to relate well. So I do wanna, I wanna ask you to give yourself a little bit of grace and not to be, like to fight off discouragement if as you listen to some of these things or over the last couple of weeks, you're thinking, yeah, it's like, I'm, I am the primary source of pain to all the people around me. And you might feel like you've been trying for years and you might be tempted to give up. I, I get it. I just wanna encourage you to make sure you're listening to the right voice because you have an enemy who wants to take an element of truth and distort it and discourage your destiny out of you. Then you have God who wants to, yes, bring things to our awareness, but he wants to encourage us. He wants to invite us. He wants to, he wants to draw us into maturity. And so, and so how some people are able to relate to others or, or put up with certain things or forgive or, or reconcile or fight well, you might compare yourself to that and think, I'm, I'm still a child, I'm still a baby at this stuff. Don't give up. Become a toddler. Become a child. Become a teenager. Become, like, it's okay for us to be, on a journey, and so part of our vision for next year, part of our strategy, it's actually not even really, that'll always be our vision, but part of our strategy for next year, so part of our vision is to help people grow in life-giving relationships. How, we, how we're gonna try and facilitate that, and in some cases strengthen that, is by creating opportunities for gathering. There is something to gathering. There is something, I'm not even talking about this kind of gathering, because you can walk in, Stare, stare to the front and walk out and, and no one ever know your name, know your story, know anything about you that can actually lead to something meaningful 
Or you can, maybe you join a team, maybe you, maybe you land up serving alongside someone else and after a few months you actually get to know each other's name and maybe you get to know a little bit about your story. And, and, so, and so that's an opportunity. We can only facilitate it, we can't guarantee it. So next year, part of our focus is gonna be encouraging people to get into environments where you can grow in relationships, whether that is on a team, whether that is, we're gonna do a couple of men's events next year, which is the response I expected. We're gonna also have a couple of women's events next year. That's what I expected. Just so you know, that is so normal. It's like woman, men. Are they gonna tell me about my father wound and how to be a better husband and stop being a drop kicker? No, no, we're not. It's gonna be life-giving. We're gonna have fun. There's gonna be encouragement. It'll only be two. One in the first half of the year, one in the second half of the year. So men, don't worry. Like, we're not gonna drag anything out of you. We, we, we want it to be encouraging. And we'll have some women's events next year. It's unfair, but it's okay. So, so that's another example. Then, and we'll explain more about this at the beginning of the year, but we're also, we're gonna experiment with changing things up a little bit in terms of the rhythm that we have for life groups um, versus what we're gonna be calling courses because they're courses. And so, and so we are wanting to create opportunities, low risk, low threat opportunities for people to gather together here, for example, for eight weeks on a Tuesday night where, where you are, Watching a teaching, but then you also happen to be sitting in groups where, where you, again, it's gonna be awkward if you're not gonna tell anyone your name after seven weeks. Or if, or if like we're hoping that it'll facilitate you at least just, just connect, like you have someone to greet on a Sunday, and who knows where that might go to. But the, the, the courses are gonna be on relationships. In fact, you can sign up for it already if you want to, if you're interested. We haven't finalized the cost. It'll probably be 300 Rand because that's the cost of the book that we want you to it's the participant's guide that we want you to work through. So you can already scan the QR code, sign up if you're interested in healthy relationships. Secondly, we're gonna be doing a course on following Jesus. This is especially, this is, where, this is the starting point. If you don't know the beginnings, the, the foundations of how to begin a relationship with God and, and to grow in that relationship with God, that's where we want you to start. We don't want you to start in relating to people, we want you to start in relating to God and allowing God to love you because the more we allow God to love us, the more we'll grow in loving others. And then thirdly, we're gonna be running a block. This will be a little bit longer than the normal period. It's the only thing we ever run longer than eight weeks, give or take, which is freedom groups, which if you have done following Jesus and you've never done freedom, that's probably gonna be where we encourage you to go. And again, it's gonna be in groups. You're gonna to have to engage a little bit as superficially as you want or as deeply as you want, but we want to create opportunities for people to gather and hopefully to slowly but surely grow in a relationship at the pace that you're willing to go. And then lastly, we are going to still do life groups, but, but we're gonna alternate them on the, on the terms with the courses. We don't want people to have to choose. We, we don't wanna compete with anything. And so the life groups, again, next year we'll do what we did this year. I think one of the greatest uh, successes, if I can, can call it that, something that we are ending the year off with feeling satisfied with, even excited about, and you'll hear a couple of testimonies on Thanksgiving Sunday, is uh, where we wanna tackle two practices again next year. One in the first half of the year, one in the second half of the year. The practice itself takes four weeks to, to meet through, to talk through, to experiment with, but, but our hope is that people will continue practicing the practice. These are life-giving practices. Yeah. 
life-giving practices. Life-giving practices. It's not about trying to add more things to your life. Sorry, I wasn't trying to get a response. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to get this into you. It's life-giving practices. This is, this is not about trying to add a whole bunch more to an overwhelmed life and schedule. This is actually, a large part of the practice is actually about removing stuff, creating space and margin so that we can actually live healthy lives. So this, this year, at the beginning of the year, the first half, we, we focused on a, just a very helpful, user-friendly practice of prayer, which is key, it's life-giving. The second half of the year, this might freak a lot of you out, we did fasting, which again, some of the feedback, in fact, all of the feedback, I don't think I've spoken to a single person that was like, ugh, fasting, terrible. If anything, people have been surprised. Yeah. It's like, this is so counter, counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, it's been a life-giving practice for people that have engaged in it. And so these are just some of the opportunities. We're also gonna have a serve week next year. We'll explain more about that to you. We're gonna have a serve day next year. Again, these are just opportunities where, especially for guys, you don't have to get into conversation. You can just join, you know, you're just doing something together, fixing up something or picking up litter at the beach or whatever. But, but somebody gets to know your name or your face. You'll often hear us refer to these three levels of relationships, facts, feelings, and formation. Facts is simply about somebody knowing your name, and, and, and if we could take it a step further, my hope would be that someone would notice when you're missing for like 17 weeks. The reality is there are a lot of people that are missing for three years, and nobody knows about it. Now, you can put the blame on the people around, or you can put some responsibility on the person. It should not, like I don't want it to be easy for you to be gone and nobody notice. If you attend here regularly, there's a very good chance that you're sitting in almost the exact same place that you sat in last week and the week before and the month before that and the year before that. And so what that means is that very likely you will start recognizing the same people that are just like you that also sit in the same place every week. I think it'd be great for you to actually know their name and maybe notice if you haven't seen that person for a year. That's, that's just facts, that's just entry level, superficial. Feelings is where our goal is that, people, is that we actually create a safe place for people to share. Not, not pouring your guts out, you don't have to share your deepest, darkest secrets, it's as, it's as much or as little as you want to, as vulnerably or as not vulnerably as you want to, but we want to have a culture where it is safe to share and you're not gonna be judged, you're not gonna be shamed and the only time that that would ever need to be escalated is if it's criminal or someone else is at risk, like you're a threat to somebody else. Otherwise, it's confidential. It's just, it's a safe place for you to be human. Without, without someone trying to correct you and change you, we just want safe places. Now again, as you grow and develop, you're gonna want people to, when there's enough trust, you want people to point stuff out, to have your back, to, to ask tough questions, to, to correct you, but to begin with, like, if people don't give you that permission, it's just to be safe. Information is, the best way I can put this is where you're fighting for someone's future. Like, is there, is there somebody, in, like, this is the goal for me. The goal is that every follower of Jesus has someone that, for whom they are fighting for that person's future, and everyone has someone who cares about your future. And when you care enough about someone's future, you care more about, about their future more than their feelings, which means that you'll... Again, you'll be praying for them. You'll, you'll be asking questions occasionally. You'll be like, hey man, what's, like, what's bringing life and oxygen into the moment? What's encouraging you? What, is there anything I can pray for? You are contending for one another's future. We need this. 
You look thoroughly unconvinced, but that's okay. I'm telling you, you need this. I've been around long enough. I've walked with enough people to tell you that there, there is no other silver bullet. There is no other tablet. There is, like, we, God has made us for people. You can survive. You can die and spend eternity with God. I'm not talking about that. This isn't a salvation issue. I'm talking about a level of flourishing. I'm talking about a level of maturing. If you're still primarily the same person you were five or 10 years ago, my encouragement is to do something different. Yeah. That's all. Again, and that's not even, a, that's not even to, to throw shade on you. I'm just saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes. You have to be honest enough with yourself if you are happy with nothing changing. A Harvard study of adult development said the following. So, this, so, the, so you don't have to even be a Christian. You don't have to even believe what I believe about the Bible. And, and Harvard says, it is not money, achievement, or status that leads to health and happiness. The single greatest factor that leads to health and happiness is good relationships. Maybe you've heard some of the stats and the research of how it's healthier to smoke and eat badly with good relationships. You, you, you can go check this out. I'm not suggesting it, but, but it's healthier for you to have a bad diet and to be smoking than it is, with, with healthy relationships, than it is to be, to, to be healthy, physically clean, but not have good relationships. It has, it has, a, it has a, a more significant effect on your overall health and lifespan. Now, in case you just thought, I've got a great excuse, and you're looking at someone that you came to church, it's like, wonderful, I just got permission. I can still neglect my body. I'm not talking, like, why not do both? Right, let's, let's look after ourselves on every level. First week, we took a look at some of the essentials of building trust. Last week, Tammy did a great job of explaining our responsibilities to make sure that we are looking at ourselves and are we putting up walls? Are we allowing for appropriate vulnerability? And perhaps the best way to sum that up is, the way that I have thought about this over the years is wherever you go, there you are. So we have to look at where we are the common denominator. What is it that we can do differently or that I can do differently? And how important it is to have our identity and security in God so that, so that we are less triggered, less, less affected by someone else not meeting our deepest needs. If you're still wanting to get married one day, some of the greatest advice I can give you is that your spouse is not gonna meet every need that you have. Your children are not gonna meet every need you have. That's not what they're created for. In fact, the healthier you are in God, the better spouse you can be, the better parent you can be. Even as a child, the, the, healthier, the more secure you are in God, the healthier you can be as a child towards a, perhaps a dysfunctional relationship with a parent. Today, I wanna to look briefly, and this, this might not be relevant for everybody right now, but this, in my opinion, is golden wisdom for people that have either had trust broken or that will have trust broken, maybe just file it away if, if, if this is not relevant to you right now and you can come back one day. And I've got to just quickly suggest, as I did two weeks ago, that a large part of this, I have found wonderful help from probably the most, one of the most well-known Christian psychologists in the world, Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote a great book called Trust, just simply trust. And so these are some of the principles that he is unpacking. In fact, he goes on to say, trust is basically making oneself vulnerable to another with the possibility of being hurt in some way. You can't trust someone without giving them the potential to hurt you. 
right? And your first thought is like, uh, exactly. Duh, that's why I ain't going to trust nobody. How's it working out for you? The process of repairing broken trust. So I want to be clear. The last, the next few moments, I'm just focusing on when trust has been broken and where you need to evaluate whether or not trust even has the potential to be repaired. Not, not guaranteed, but even just the potential to be repaired. It should not be something that we're just going to blindly. Hope is not a strategy. Someone even just saying sorry is not enough. That's, that, that, that might be part of reconciling. That's not the same as trusting. When trust has been broken and we need to repair trust, I think an important question to ask ourselves is, is this person pursuing a path that will make them someone who will not do what they did before? I'm talking about significant breaches of trust. I'm talking about, I'm talking about when someone has defrauded you, when someone has betrayed you, when someone has committed adultery, when someone has stolen from you. Um, especially... I'm not talking about knucklehead stuff, like someone had a, was in a bad mood yesterday. That's a little bit different. Although even then, I was still safe. You're living with someone. Kindness and love would say that I'm going to try and change something in my life so that maybe I'm not moody 28 days out of 30 or 31. And by the way, praying alone, praying is important, but praying alone is not the only solution. It is if prayer is a, communica- a two-way communication where you allow God to bring wisdom to you and you actually do something different so that you become someone different. Yeah. Is the person pursuing a path that'll make them someone who will not do what they did before? In other words, am I dealing with the same person or a new person? And, and you can. You can have someone that has hurt you on the deepest level, but given the right circumstances, building up the right track record over long enough, you can find that you're actually dealing with a new person. You're not actually dealing with the same person. Proverbs 27, 12 says that a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If you've, been, if you've had your trust genuinely, legitimately, significantly broken before, we need to take precautions. I thought one of the greatest pieces of advice that someone gave to me some time ago when, when I was dealing with, with a very, very complex situation, but, but this was also a complex situation on the back of many, 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 many years of the same pattern. The guy just said to me, Jason, when, they sh- when a person shows you who they are, pay attention. I'm like, duh, that makes sense. Now, now this doesn't mean that there isn't grace and that there isn't patience and all that stuff, but but again, there can be relationship. It doesn't mean that there has to be trust on the highest level or on the deepest level. Yeah. For you to have trust on the deepest level, you need to pay attention to who the person is. So, Cloud goes on to suggest the following few steps in terms of considering the repairing of trust and then how to go about actually repairing that trust. Number one is to heal from what happened to you. This might sound obvious, For those of you that have got enough life experience, you know that one of the greatest temptations when you get hurt is to just react, or maybe to to respond in a very dramatic way. Um, And and that can go from downright ugly and vengeful to to just being emotionally overwhelmed and and just like vomiting all over the place and imploding. and, and, And so where possible, try and slow down. Try and get some space. Try and get some perspective. 
lean into those people that you have already formed trust with that can offer you perspective and that are gonna be a friend to your future, not just a friend to your feelings right now. So it's one thing to have it validated, that's important. It's important to validate if this is a legitimate thing. That's different when they villainize and demonize the, the other person and, and just help catastrophize everything. Does it make sense? It is important to heal. Now, again, you might have had trust broken in a scenario that's actually urgent, like you have to do something about it immediately, and so you don't, you don't have the luxury of waiting until you can think more clearly and feel, you know, when, when, when there's a threat, when there's risk, you, you have to respond immediately. But, but before you even consider repairing trust, again, all we're talking about is repairing trust, make sure that you've actually had time to heal properly, to grieve properly. Whatever you do, don't isolate and withdraw from all other people. A second step towards the possibility of repairing trust is to move towards forgiveness. Now, we'll most likely unpack this in far greater detail next week, but let me just state the obvious to begin with, because we are talking about repairing trust. Forgiveness is a prerequisite to repairing trust. You cannot, you cannot even begin to re repair trust with someone that you're trying to punish, with someone that you're trying to get even with then just, it's okay, just own, like acknowledge what it is, acknowledge where you are and that you're not ready to even consider connecting, reconciling, let alone repairing trust if you're not managing to forgive. And I just wanna be clear, forgiveness is not clean, it's not easy, and it's seldom quick. Not even something, I'm not talking about knucklehead stuff, I'm talking about serious things, deep hurts, deep wounds. Cloud goes on to explain how important it is for us to actually feel our anger and express it appropriately. I think Christians so often, especially over-sentimental Christians, like almost like secularized, oprified Christians, think that anger is like the groot gevaar. No, it's, no, no, anger is actually a normal emotion. It's what we do with it. Cloud says that anger is an emotion that says something is wrong. Like, if someone's hurting someone you care about, there should be anger. There shouldn't be, if there's indifference, something's wrong with the picture. There should be anger at injustice, at hurt, at destruction. Anger is an emotion that says something is wrong. It is a protest emotion, meaning that it gives up the system for action to fight something that's wrong. Like, anger is, in many cases, healthy. However, Paul instructs us in Scripture Ephesians 4 verse 26, that in our anger, we are to not sin. So it doesn't say don't get angry. He says, oh, when you get angry, be careful that you don't sin. Jesus would have gotten angry about stuff, yet he was without sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I don't have time to unpack that, but I do wanna highlight it. Us sinning in our anger we might think that we're, that we're paying the person back. We don't realize how much of our life we're giving to the enemy when we're allowing a foothold that can become a stronghold as we allow anger to turn to hatred and bitterness and revenge. Be angry, but do not sin. But let me stress again that anger, in many cases, can be healthy. And in fact, you don't need forgiveness if there's been no cause for anger. A person does not need forgiveness if they haven't done anything wrong, if they haven't hurt you, if they haven't hurt someone else. 
By the way, just a quick side note, sometimes second-hand offense is much harder to forgive than first-hand offense. I find it way easier to get past quickly. Like, like it's, 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 I, I'm not easily offended by someone, personally. Yes, like, when they're hurting someone else, and it's unjust, and it's unfair, and, it's, and when there's a, that's like, yo, 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 yo. So, so I'm just telling you personally, don't think, well, you know, I can forgive easily, nothing affects me. No, no, what about then how you're affected by when other people are hurt? That's still forgiveness. You can build up a hatred towards someone because of what they've done to someone else. Henry Cloud says that you must have anger in order to get better. So in other words, we actually have to feel it, own it, validate it in order to actually deal with it. But at the same point, we must give up anger to get better. In other, words, in other words, at some point we start healing and where we start forgiving and giving up the grudge. That's a big part of what forgiveness is, just giving up on revenge. And I love, like this, this really stood out to me. We said that forgiveness has to do with the past, trust has to do with the future. Forgiveness has to do with the past, trust has to do with the, the future. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned. Forgiveness actually has nothing to do with the other person. Again, we could do a whole series just on unforgiveness. Let me just say, though, that unforgiveness is not worth the damage that it does. I am convinced that some people quite literally shave years off of their lives because of unforgiveness. I believe, this is my opinion, and, and I, think that, I think that even scientific research would, to some extent, back this up, that it can even lead to things such as cancer. Because unforgiveness has an effect on stress, which has an effect on our chemistry. Scientific research shows that forgiveness reduces painful and damaging emotions such as resentment, bitterness, hatred, hostility, revenge wishes, and toxic anger. This is scientific research. It improves mental health, reduces depression and anxiety, aids in addiction recovery, helps the PTSD healing process, reduces chronic stress, improves mortality rates. In other words, you live longer lowers blood pressure and cholesterol, increases immune system functioning, reduces heart disease, pain, and neuroticism, and it increases the ability to actually judge people accurately, because what can happen is that we can then just land up seeing everyone as the villain. Unforgiveness is not worth the damage it does. Another step in considering the repair process is, number three, to consider what you want, and you are allowed to want something. You need to actually consider, do, do you want to repair this relationship or do you want to move on? Are there good reasons to repair this relationship? Are there things worth fighting for? And a lot of the time, the answer is hopefully is going to be yes, by the way. I'm not trying to give us all easy excuses to, to just dump people. Don't blame me. These are just some intelligent questions to ask ourselves. Are there good reasons to repair? Are there things worth fighting for? Or is there nothing more that you can do? Maybe you've done everything you can. And depending on your personality, you might never feel like you've done enough. Again, that's where you need trusted people around you that can eventually say to you, I, I, like, I have, like, for what it's worth, I have a peace. I think you have done everything humanly and spiritually possible. You might have to allow this person's choices to dictate the future. It is also an unfolding process. So don't, don't expect to be able to answer these questions in the heat of 
the crisis or the trauma. This very likely would take time. Sometimes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, in some cases years, because it has a lot to do with whether or not the other person is changing. Which brings us to number four, figure out if reconciliation is even available. Forgiveness is a one-player game, that's for the person offended, it's got nothing to do with the offender, but reconciliation involves both people, it's both the offended and the offender. If the other person is like, what's your problem? Stop being a drama queen, I haven't done anything to you. Reconciliation might not be on the table. If they dismiss, invalidate, water down, and it is something legitimate, and again, trusted people that you've gotten perspective from have, a, have agreed with you that this is significant, this is legitimate. If, if the other person does not see, then, again, depending on the significance of it, there's a good chance that reconciliation isn't an option. Reconciliation actually requires repentance. If something significant has been, if someone has stolen from you, it's not, it's not a case of, hey man, it's a new day, God's mercy is on you every morning. Let's, let's start with a with with blank slate. The answer is no. Yes, it's a new day. Yes, God's mercy is on you every day, which means that he gives you grace to change, grace to repent. So don't use that as an excuse. Do you notice what, do you acknowledge what you've done? Do you own what you've done? Can you take responsibility for what you've done? And, and are you willing to accept God's grace and mercy in helping to change? Because repentance means to literally change direction. How can there be reconciliation from a serious bre breach or breaking of trust if there is no repentance, if there is no owning? If someone has been abusive at home, whether it's through substance abuse or it's just, just emotional dis destruction year in and year out, and, and it's just a case of, ah, like, just forgive me, man, forgive me, come on, you're a Christian. That's not true. That is not helpful. You can forgive, 100%. Not, not can you, this isn't a question of should you forgive, you're already doing that. Just to be clear, you don't have a choice about forgiveness. It's just a question of how and how long. Forgiveness is not a multiple choice option for us. If you are a Christian, I, okay, side note. I cannot believe that I have been impacted by the grace and mercy of God if over an extended period of time I am incapable of showing grace and mercy to someone else. Doesn't mean I reconcile, doesn't mean I let them back in. No, no, if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna feel like I have the right to hold the grudge, again, and it could be the, the worst atrocity, but, but, but I feel like I can accept God's grace towards me. The Bible speaks, there isn't, let me finish my sentence. The Bible speaks clearly about this. There is no equivocation. Jesus told the story of the unmerciful servant. In the Lord's prayer, forgive us as we forgive others. That was for free. So this, what I'm talking about isn't about forgiveness. This is about reconciliation. Are they taking responsibility? Do they recognize the consequences of their actions? Are they willing to own it and apologize? Are they willing to, the Bible also says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, so are they willing to actually be transparent and to be accountable and to allow change to take place? So these first four steps are just all about whether or not you, whether or not the repair is even a possibility. The last two are steps 
in terms of how to then go about repairing trust if the answers to those first four steps are positive. So number five is to assess trustworthiness. Like actually assess it. Again, this isn't just blind hope. If you know the person, if the person has broken that trust, that means that there's a certain track record, it is important for us to actually assess whether or not that is changing. Is the person showing signs? Because also, it's not going to be one and done. Like, a person can apologize in a moment. A person can beg and cry, and snot can be coming out of their nose, and, 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 and they, can be, they can be convulsing. They can, they can feel lots in the moment. That's, and that's good. That's fine. I don't want to invalidate that. I'm just saying that that's not the same as building trust. Trust requires fruit. It requires a track record. So are they actually showing signs of changing? And then that goes back to the first five principles that we spoke about two weeks ago, the, the pillars of trust. Are they showing signs of understanding you or the people that they've hurt? What that's done to you? What the effects were? Do they show signs of caring? That'll show understanding. Secondly, do they show signs of having a motive for your welfare, for the other people's welfare? If your spouse or ex-spouse has, has hurt, damaged, been destructive towards your kids for years and years, I think that it should take an enormous amount of evidence to show that their motive has shifted to where, to where they are no longer self-centered, but actually care about the people that they're hurting. I think that you'll also see if those motives are changing when they change behavior that they know will hurt you or the other people. Third, are they showing signs of growing and having the ability and capacity to deliver what is promised? Because we can promise the world. We can promise the world, but are they actually showing that those abilities are growing? Are they learning new conflict resolution skills? Are they willing to go to a counselor? Are they willing to read a book? Are they don't tell me you're willing to change if you're not willing to do anything, if you're not willing to put the work in. Rather just say, just be honest with yourself and be honest with the person. You're not worth it. I'd rather watch series. I'd rather hang out with my friends. I'd rather do anything else. You're not worth, you're not worth this effort. You're not worth me paying a price. You're not worth me reading, going for counseling, getting accountable to someone, changing stuff in my life, maybe changing a job even. Like, just be honest about it. But there should be signs of learning self-control, learning to budget and record if, if that's been you know, a destructive pattern, learning to be emotionally present. A fourth sign there would be having the character to meet the trust requirements. So you're actually showing signs of honesty and humility and accountability. You don't just, you don't just agree here at church. You're, like, you're willing to actually do something. You're showing signs of breaking the secrecy that led to some of those crises and some of the pain. Secrecy of your schedule. Secrecy of your whereabouts. Secrecy over your finances. And number five, building a track record that is a trustworthy pattern. So, 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 you can, so that person can start building trust. By the way, this is, you, you might be the person that needs to do this work. I'm just speaking in the context of if you are considering repairing trust with someone else. But, but if you're trying to have trust repaired towards the person that you're hurting, you need to take responsibility for building up an appropriate track record. You attend the things that you committed 
to attending. You, you, if you committed to marriage counseling, you're going to marriage counseling. If you miss once and there's a legitimate reason, you don't miss twice. You don't, you don't make excuses. You don't allow it to become a pattern. If you're committed to going for personal counseling, you're going for personal counseling. Even if you're like, oh, this counselor's a dropkick. Unless you can find a, de- a different counselor or a better counselor, I would say stick with the one you've got, even if he's useless or she's useless, because I really do believe that God gives grace to the humble, and just you being humble enough to sit with someone that maybe you don't even like that much or respect that much, just that alone is going to show determination, credibility, trustworthiness. The question is whether or not, whether or not you are sowing seeds that will produce a new harvest. Well-known passage, Galatians 6 verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So if you have harvested mistrust, you need to be committed to and patient towards sowing new seeds that the person that you've hurt can say, I'm, I'm willing to journey. I'm willing to try. and rec- I'm not trusting you yet because that takes time, but, but I can see that you're putting in the effort. But let that effort continue long enough so that you actually see a new harvest and the person becomes a new person. And then lastly, look for evidence of real change. So look for evidence. In other words, is there a different harvest? If someone has, and and just, just so you know, there's pretty much no mistrust, no broken trust that has not got examples of being repaired. I've known many people that have come back from affairs, that have come back from from being defrauded or, or just, just deep, deep hurts. It's not common because most people aren't willing to do the work, but it does happen. So anything's possible. Don't give up. Anything's possible. It's just you need to be willing to persevere with the sowing long enough to actually show evidence of a new harvest, to show signs of a new harvest. John Ordberg says, you know, repentance is complete when you face the same situation, only this time you do the opposite. So I can tell you I'm sorry. I can tell you I've repented. But, but time is what builds trust. And when you can see that gradually I am changing. As we close, I want to go back to that passage we just read and to read the next verse, verse 8, but from the message paraphrase where Eugene Peterson puts it this way. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response, this is the key word for me, the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Again, I wanna encourage you. If you're sitting here thinking, yeah, it's like a Jason, he's clapping me today. I'm, I'm asking you to give me the benefit of the doubt that that is not my heart at all. Because I don't believe that that's God's heart. I don't think God wants to break people. I think God wants to make us aware and I think he wants to invite us towards life. So, so if you feel like this is, you're kind of on the offending side of the scale, I wanna encourage you that the key, the key, I've shared a whole bunch of practical stuff, but the key from a heart point of view and from a spiritual point of view is to live in response to God. His spirit is alive and well. And I would argue that 
His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Whereas the King James unfortunately called Him the Holy Ghost, which just sounds scary. He's the Holy Spirit. I think that He speaks to us way more than what we give Him credit for. It's just that it's not loud, it's not dramatic, it's often just a little, <clears throat> like just a little caution, a, a hesitation, a sense, a, a check. God gives grace to the humble. If we will persevere in the journey, the process, and it could take you years, that's okay. If, if, if you come from a background of years of brokenness and chances are you had your trust broken over and over and over again, hurt people, hurt people. We know this. There would be reasons why you react the way you do, why you respond the way you do. Why you, like, we, it explains it. It doesn't excuse it, but it explains it. So I'm saying if that's the case, be patient, be kind to yourself in journeying with God. But as we respond, as we plant in response to God, letting God's spirit to the, do the growth work, we will harvest a crop of real life. If you care about a relationship, and, and I'm, I'm even thinking of people that, will, that would be estranged from their children. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you haven't been able to have a, a meaningful conversation with maybe now even an, an adult child from years ago because of damage done. And yes, there's always two sides to a story, but, but if you're able to own what you need to own, and you're thinking, how am I ever gonna build that bridge? How am I ever gonna start with that again? You do it one step at a time. You do it one seat at a time. You're patient. You try and exercise. I love what Marco said about, about the muscle. Like, like we have to develop these muscles. Develop the muscle of humility, the muscle of, of confessing and apologizing and, and letting, and if the other person takes cheap shots at you, you might have to be humble and just accept it to some extent. But if, if, we, can, if we can commit ourselves to living in response to God's love for us, to God's wisdom, to God's plan, to God's invitation. Man, anything, anything can change. If, if God was done with you, I don't mean this facetiously, if God was done with you, you'd be dead. God doesn't need, like, God doesn't need numbers. God doesn't need, what do you call the bots, you know, like on social media, make, they try and prop up your image. He doesn't need this. If you're still breathing, it's because God still has a plan. God still wants to do something. So it's your choice whether or not you want to accept that and, and slowly but surely climb that, you know, difficult mountain.